Welcome to the Heather McCoy Show. Midway through the show, I'll have a Face in the Crowd segment. For this new mini-episode, I talk to voters in downtown Orange about the upcoming election. Then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson joining us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with our regular contributor, the blogger behind FieldOfSchemes.com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. Morning, Heather. Morning. Uh, we'll start this week's segment off in Detroit, where fans of the old Tiger Stadium organized a viewing party on Saturday night for Game 3 of the World Series. Uh, city officials nixed the event because it decided that they didn't have the proper permits, but then they ratcheted up their disapproval of the event by threatening to arrest anyone on the field for trespassing. Uh, the city of Detroit wants to uh, use the site for anything other than baseball and even has rejected Chevrolet's offer to maintain the field for free. What are the chances at least uh, ball field can remain? You know, I don't know. This has been an ongoing fight, right? The Tigers moved out in 1999 to Comerica Park, and Tiger Stadium sat there for years, and there were tons and tons of different plans to either um, keep it or downsize it to um, you know what it was back in the early part of the 20th century, so keep part of the structure, um, or you know a lot of different proposals to try and keep it some, something around baseball since it's been a baseball field since like the 1880s um, in one form or another, and the city not shot down every single one of those. It was like no 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 we need to knock it down we need to knock it down. If anyone's been to Detroit in the last 20 years or so. Detroit does not lack for vacant lots, right, for development. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, but they were like, no, 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 nobody's going to build anything there unless we knock it down. So they finally went in and knocked it down, um, and, um, but they didn't uh, destroy. Oh, and then first they knocked down most of it, but they left part of it, and then people tried to save that. No dice. They knocked down the rest of it. But the field was still there, and, you know, a lot of people love Tiger Stadium, and so local folks went out there and started mowing the grass and, you know, keeping, uh, you know, caring for the infield. The flagpole that used to be in the center field in Tiger Stadium is still there, so they, you know, ran a flag up, Tiger's flag up there, um, and started playing pickup games there. And the city just hated this because it was, you know, showing that you could actually use it for something other than, a vacant lot that might someday become a Walmart or something. Yeah. Um, and they've got, you know, at every possible step, including this thing on Saturday, they, the city has, you know, tried to throw roadblocks in the way of, of the people who are trying to use this for baseball. So, um, you know, you would think, uh, I, I think uh, uh, Chevrolet even at one point uh, was talking about, uh, you know, giving some money to uh, to help maintain it as a ball field. And Detroit said, no, we don't want your money. <laughs> it involves baseball. We don't want your money. So, I mean... Uh, you know, there's certainly still still hope. I mean, it's it's not like anybody else has has you know solid plans to uh, to build something there. Although there's always talk, um, but uh, at this point, you have to sort of wonder. I think you probably would need somebody new at the head of the Detroit Development Corporation because the guy who runs that is just you know dead set against. I think he just doesn't like the people who fought the city on on tearing down the stadium. He's just like. <laughs> He wants to spite them. They're not going to get one crumb out of him. Yeah, yeah. How did the efforts to save the old building fail, and what can be learned for the future from that? This was one, actually one of the first things that uh, we researched for uh, for our book field of schemes way, way back in the day. Um, back in the 1980s, I think it was 87, um, about five friends who were all Tigers fans got together because they heard that they were talking about tearing down the stadium and, uh, and formed this group called uh, the Tiger Stadium Fan Club. Um, and spent a good, you know, ten years uh, fighting to keep 
uh, the city and the state from putting money into tearing down Tiger Stadium and building a new ballpark. Won a bunch of battles, won a referendum, um, and then eventually had the referendum, referendum overturned with another referendum. Um, but uh, a lot of the same folks are still involved in, you know, have been involved in trying to, uh, you know, keep the the you know something going at that at that site because it is a historic site. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I think the lesson here to be learned is when the, the originally the the Tigers were owned by Tom Monahan, um, who was the owner of Domino's Pizza at the time, um, and he tried to get public money was not very successful, and when it, it was finally successful was when he sold the team to Mike Illich, who owns Little Caesars Pizza. <laughs> um, and it's very, well, you know, for some reason, like, Detroit has become Pizza Town. Um, and Illich is very, very well connected in the local business community. And I think the answer there, you know, the, the lesson here is that it's, it's always hard to fight City Hall, but it's very hard to fight City Hall when, you know, one of the big players in the local business community is um, the one who's pushing it. And you really need some sort of major oppositional force. And just, you know, a bunch of folks who are well-organized um, and, you know, have a good argument is not going to do it. I think the same thing we've seen in New York with the various different battles there. You know, the, the I made this point before, but, you know, the folks in the Bronx who are trying to stop the new Yankee Stadium got steamrolled. The folks in Brooklyn who were trying to stop the Nets arena um, had, you know, a few bigger names. You know, Steve Buscemi was there, and, you know, uh, Jonathan Lethem and other folks who were, who were opposed to it. And so they were able to hold it off for a while. The one, the one stadium that didn't happen in New York was the Jet Stadium in Manhattan, and that had to do with the fact that opposing it was um, uh, Cablevision, which owns the Madison Square Garden. And yeah. they were... and. That's the most important thing, you know. I think I think it's a lesson not just for sports facilities, but for you know uh, any sort of uh, you know community organizing. Is the most important thing is to have somebody with a big stick on your side. Yeah, yeah. How did Tiger Stadium miss becoming a national park? How did it miss? Yeah. Um, it did end up on the uh, I believe on the register National Register of Historic Places, but that doesn't you know provided any sort of protection. It's not like this, it makes it a landmark. Yeah. Um, you know, basically it came down to the fact that the city of Detroit owned it, and it was very hard to, it's very hard to stop the owner of a building from, from tearing it down. You know, you have to, it, if, if you can convince them that they want, you know, that it's in their interest to landmark it and to maintain it, that's one thing, but it's very, very difficult, um, you know, to, uh, to fight anything like that. So, um, you know, again, not for lack of want of trying, um, but uh, it's, you know, the, there were lawsuits, there were, you know, attempts to appeal to Congress, there was everything. <laughs> um, but, uh, but in the end, the city had the power to, to bring the bulldozers in. Yeah, the big news last week in the sports world is that the, for all the poorly veiled threats in airline travel to create leverage and bargaining, we have for the first time since this segment started an actual move. Uh, the New York Islanders are moving from Nassau Coliseum to the Barclays Center in Brooklyn with a 25-year lease. How does this affect the fan base in uh, of the Islanders, and uh, will they lose their current fan base in Long Island? It's going to be really interesting. Certainly, the if this Long Islanders... I think it depends on uh, uh, there's just two parts of the fan base. I think the Long Islanders who don't come into the city much are probably going to, uh, if not abandon the team, they'll certainly don't go to, won't go to as many games. It's easy to get to this site via Long Island Railroad, 
Um, but you know, it's it's a little bit of a of a trip. So um, you know, it, my guess is you'll mostly see going to the games either people from Brooklyn um, or you know the rest of New York City who can get there easily on the subway, um, or uh, people from Long Island who are working in the city and will you know stop by Brooklyn on their after work and then we'll head out of town from there and go and go back home. So it's 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 not a, a you know disaster for the fan base as it would be for um you know a team actually moving out of town or or you know a more dramatic move. Yeah. Um and 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 I think it might work out okay. I mean the 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 question everybody's asking is how they're going to work this when they've got a hockey rink in what's basically a basketball only arena. Um so you're going to have the ring, you know the the ice surface is going to be skewed like way to one side and you know the the uh, uh, scoreboard will hang like pretty much with a blue line <laughs> and one, yeah. one goalie will be like way 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 over against the wall of the building with no no fans around it's going to be strange um but uh i guess the islanders figured uh you know it's we'd rather be a tenant in uh not just a new building but a new building in you know in brooklyn i think brooklyn has such a you know, has such cachet at this point, um, and has such money, to be honest with you, that they figured, okay, you know, they're, they're following the money, just like they went to Long Island in the 70s, because that's where the money was going, you know, all the people with money were moving to Nassau County. Yeah. Um, now the people with money are moving to Brooklyn, and they, they figured that's where they should go. Well, but with the bad sight lines, does that mean the lower bowl doesn't have seating along glass all the way around the rink, or how does the hockey rink work exactly? They're still kind of working that out. I think not. I think they're going to have no seating on, in the lower bowl on one end. Okay. Um, so just fold up those seats and possibly no seating in, the, in that end on the, in the upper bowl as well. Oh, um, wow. We, we were, yeah, they, they, it's a little hard to say because there was going to be an exhibition game with the Islanders, but, of course, there's no exhibition season because of the lockout. And then they were going to put tickets on sale for some Russian Hockey League games for January, but mysteriously this week, those games were suddenly canceled, and they shifted those games back to Russia. So um, we don't know when we're actually going to see this thing in action. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think a lot of people, especially Islanders fans, are very curious because it's, you know, it's, the fact that it'll be 14,000, 15,000 seats isn't necessarily a killer. Um, but if it's 14,000, 15,000 seats and a lot of them aren't very good, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, since you stated that, uh, quote, now that it turns out that teams need Brooklyn more than Brooklyn needs teams because of so much demand occurring at the Barclays Center, uh, what are the terms of the deal that could have been negotiated more aggressively on the city side? Well, the city gave a lot. You know, they bent over backwards to get the Barclays Center done. You know, they gave... um, so they've given a lot in tax breaks. They handed over a lot of land to the developer Bruce Ratner. Um, they, um, you know, gave over a large chunk of uh, MTA uh, uh, transit property that, um, you know, for for a discounted price. So there are all these. I mean, I don't think anybody has really come up with a solid number of how much money, you know, how much in subsidies has gone into this thing. Um, but the idea was that the developer was coming in and saying, oh, you know, there's no way we're ever going to get this thing done if you don't give us all this help. And as it turns out, um, everybody is flocking to Brooklyn, you know. Concerts want to come here. Um, uh, you know, the Islanders are moving here. Um, so it's, you have to wonder if the city and the state had pushed back a little bit and said, okay, we're really not going to give you all this stuff. If this is such a great deal, go and find money on your own. 
Um, it might have taken them a little longer to get it done, but I think that you know the way Brooklyn was going, um, it was not a a scenario where you needed to have a ton of public money. And I think you know again, it's something you see in a lot of other places. You know, we just saw in Seattle where Seattle did push back and say, "Hey, we're like by far the biggest market without an NBA team." You know, you should be happy that we're allowing you to build something here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it pretty much got away with it, and I think, and I think San Francisco is going to be a similar battle where they're going to say to the Warriors, well, you know, we're a really lucrative market. Um, we don't see why we should have to be paying you for, for very much. So, again, hopefully elected officials are learning a little bit of a lesson from this because I think it, there have been too many scenarios in the past uh, the Expo's moving to Washington, D.C. is a perfect one, where it was by far the best market and the only place that Major League Baseball could put that team if they wanted to move it out of Montreal, and yet the mayor did not seem to understand that he had leverage. Um, so I, hopefully future mayors will be able to point to the Barclays Center and say, look, you know, this is, this, this is an example of where the, the city, by virtue of being this huge market, um, actually has the ability to make demands of developers rather than just vice versa. Um, again, haven't seen it yet, except for Seattle, but hopefully maybe in the future with future hypothetical elected officials. Yeah, yeah. On the opposite side of the spectrum, why does Baltimore need a new arena with no NBA or NHL team? I have no idea. I mean, Baltimore needs a new arena because there's some guys in Baltimore who think it needs a new arena, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, and it, it, it's just like when we've talked in the past about why does the Cleveland Browns need a dome over their stadium, you know? Um, <laughs> there's some local official who thinks, hey, you know what would be really cool? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you're a local developer or if you're a local sports team owner and somebody wants to build this thing, you're like, okay, fine, you know, I could do that, but you're going to have to give us money. And that's what we're seeing in Baltimore. Is it started out as sort of this plan of, you know, hey, we can, you know, get an upgraded arena, and it'll be so cool for downtown, and it'll be awesome, and sort of maybe we'll get some kind of team, although I don't know how it's going to be either basketball or hockey, because the, uh, the Wizards and the Capitals will have something to say about that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, after it starts the the talk starts, and then you start hearing, oh, well, you know, but we're going to need money for this, and we're going to need money for that, and you're going to have to chip in for the, uh, for the arena itself. And um, it, it just gets more and more expensive. I mean, I, I, I love Baltimore, and I would be perfectly happy if they got a team, but building something on spec like that is a great way to become the next Kansas City. Yeah, it is. Uh, so um, the, the, also the amazing thing this week is, uh, so um, let me start over. So how did the amazing Daryl Katz, the owner of the Edmonton Oilers, give up his quid but didn't get the quo? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, right, the, his, his campaign donations, right. So, so uh, Daryl Katz, the Oilers owner, has apparently been giving lots of money to the uh, 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 conservative government up in, uh, in uh in and in, 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 uh, in Alberta, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> trying to remember the province name. Um, and uh, it's uh, you know he gave I think about three hundred thousand dollars or maybe it's four hundred thousand dollars. No one knows how much it is. That's apparently a lot of money in Canadian uh, political circles. It wouldn't be necessarily in the U.S., but uh, but there it's it's you know record breaking amounts. Um, and yet he still didn't get them to actually commit <laughs> to uh, to putting money into his arena, which I guess is a credit to them that they took his money and they 
still said, well, it's still a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But, uh, but you know, it's, it, unfor- and the problem for him now, of course, is that now that it's public, there's no way he's ever going to get money out of the province, right? Because yeah. if they were to do that, everyone would point and say, oh, you're just doing this because he gave you lots of campaign donations. So... You know, it's it, it's interesting. You know that that everybody sort of works from the same playbook of you know cozy up to elected officials and make threats by going to other cities and 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 imply you're going to move and you know play hardball and sort of move the goalposts in terms of what your demands are. Katz has done everything out of the playbook, but he's just managed to screw up every single <laughs> one of them time and time again. Um, you know, it takes I guess a certain finesse to pull that off, and just as Mike Illich managed to do it in Detroit, and Tom Monahan couldn't. Um, Daryl Katz seems to be showing the way to to do it wrong. Will he be frustrated at some point and sell the team, and then to somebody that can build an arena? Oh, uh, that would be one plan. I mean, I, I don't know what you know what his what his. Uh, I, I think it makes. I think I would see you would see that before you would see him move the team. Yeah, um, because yeah. I, there would be plenty of people you would think who would be happy to have a team in Edmonton with a tremendously strong fan base where they sell out even when the team's terrible um, and, uh, and, you know, take up the city on this offer of, I think it's about $400 million that they're offering. The cat turned his nose up at and said, oh, no, I can't possibly settle for that or even say what more I would want because if I say it, then I can't ask for more after that. Yeah. Um, you, would, you would think that there would be somebody who would be willing to... To, uh, to take them up on that offer. So I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see it happen. I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon because, you know, Katz clearly wants to own the team and get a new arena, and I think he's going to try and do that uh, any way possible until he gets run out of town on a rail. Yeah, yeah. We'll leave off in this segment with Seattle and the options for an NBA team are dwindling. The Milwaukee Bucks signed a short-term lease to stay in Milwaukee, and NBA commissioner doesn't seem too keen on expansion. How likely is the on-name source story from Yahoo, I believe, saying that Stern is trying to move the Kings to Seattle behind the scenes? Uh, you know, I, you know, big grain of salt, obviously, because it's an unnamed source. Um, and even if he's trying to, there's trying and then there's trying, right? There's, I would love for there to be a team in Seattle if it all works out. Um, does that mean he's actually going to arm-twist somebody into moving a team there? I doubt it. Um, the, the big question here, I mean, the, the first big question, you know, plan A, before anyone talks about anything else, is obviously what's going to happen to the Sacramento Kings. And, you know, the Maloofs have been so unpredictable, um, you know, the owners of the Kings have been so unpredictable so far in terms of what they're doing, um, and nobody has any clue in terms of what they're going to sell for, whether they're going to sell, you know, whether they're going to offer to sell and then back away from it at the last minute like they keep doing with arena deals, um... So I think so that's, that's the shoe that everyone is waiting for to drop. Um, and it's going to be tough, you know, because Chris Hansen does not have unlimited funds. He's going to have to pay to build an arena on top of paying to, to uh, get a team in there. And uh, the Maloofs know that they're pretty much his only option right now. So, if, uh, you know, unless expansion... Uh, to be honest with you, I think what Stern could do if he really wants to get a team in Seattle is hint that expansion was a possibility. Because then yeah. the Maloofs would have to say, okay, if we don't sell it, then maybe the NBA will expand and put a team in Seattle, and then, you know, we'll be out of luck trying to unload this thing. Um, and it would at least force them to negotiate. Because right now they're like, okay, we're the only sellers. You know, you have to, you have to uh, give us whatever we want. Um, and that's, that's not a good way to get a deal done fast. No, it really isn't. 
Well, uh, prepare for Frankenstorm, and thank you for being on the Heather McCoy Show. All right, talk to you next <laughs> okay. week, assuming the world doesn't end. Yeah, um, well, that was our regular guest, uh, the blogger we find, com, Neil DeMoss, and uh, this is The Heather McCoy Show.